Hello, everyone. This is Greg Drevenston, Editor-in-Chief at Writer Magazine, and your host for the Writer Magazine Insider Podcast. Our guest today is Bill Dragoo. Bill runs Dragoo Adventure Writer Training, and his mission is to provide quality off-road training at a fair price. He was a member of the BMW GS Trophy Team that represented the U.S. in South Africa in 2010, and he began teaching off-road riding skills soon thereafter. Bill has led an interesting and varied life as a pilot, a skydiver, a scuba diver, and as a competitor on dirt bikes, adventure bikes, mountain bikes, and sailboats. He even completed a solo unsupported bicycle ride across the United States. Bill has been a winner or podium finisher in three rawhide adventure challenges. He is a certified BMW factory trained off-road instructor and a certified motorcycle safety foundation rider coach. Dragoo Adventure Rider Training teaches motorcyclists of all ages to ride adventure bikes with more confidence. Bill runs training camps for beginner to advanced riders, as well as immersion tours and custom training. We talked about how Bill got into riding and racing motorcycles, his challenges and successes in competition, and his philosophy for training riders how to handle big adventure bikes. Stay tuned for another great conversation. Bill, welcome to the show. Well, thanks, Greg. I appreciate the chance to be here. Awesome. You're in Oklahoma and I'm in California, so we got a two-hour time difference. We're doing this uh, via Zoom call. How's everything in Oklahoma right now? Well, this is one of the nicer days we've had in a while. It is breezy and uh, we have the promise of some rain. I'm hoping that that's not fulfilled for uh, at least about seven more days as we get ready to start another training session. You know, I've done a little background work for this interview and see that, you know, you've lived a pretty interesting life. You've been a pilot, a skydiver, a scuba diver. You've been a competitor in motocross and mountain bike racing, uh, sailboat racing, adventure bike competitions. I read that you even did a solo, unsupported transcontinental bicycle ride across the U.S. I also know that you were a member of the BMW GS Trophy team uh, representing the U.S. in 2010 in South Africa. You've received BMW off-road training, police motorcycle training. So you've got a, a lot of different vehicles and, and things that you've done that you ride. So tell us how you got involved in motorcycling. Wow. Well, motorcycling was something that uh, it seems like any young man uh, growing up wanted to do. Uh, very few of us got an opportunity to do it at the early ages, but uh, I was lucky enough to get a ride on back of a Harley Davidson with a police officer or what Norman's first uh, motor cops. And uh, that kind of, that sort of rearranged my DNA to the point that I would do whatever had to be done from there on to, to uh, ride motorcycles. So that's the early beginnings anyway. Sounds like you got into racing. Did you do that at a young age or how did that get started? I did. Uh, I was 14 years old when I had my first motocross race and uh, I had a friend uh, whose name is Norman Heineke and still, still a friend, lives here locally. And he was uh, a state champion in uh, like 1970, I believe. And I would go watch him race. And so I certainly aspired to do that. Didn't really know you know, who does at that age, what talent you might have. But uh, I bought one of his uh, cast off motorcycles and uh, took a third place in my first motocross race. Uh, I was shocked. There were 21 riders on the starting line and found out I just didn't like to have anybody in front of me. And I <laughs> was able to kind of keep it that way for a while. Very soon started winning and just it went well for a few years there. So I know that you've participated in some of these uh, rawhide adventure challenges. 
I've been to the Rawhide Ranch here in California a few times. I've seen that. It's I know it's uh, used as a, a qualifier, I think, for the GS Trophy. Is that is that true? That is correct. Uh, since the um, early days of the GS Trophy competition, Jim has been uh, really active in the GS Trophy, and he's now the West Coast qualifier. There have been up to three qualifiers across the country every other year, and I think this last year there were only two, though. But uh, yeah, he's definitely a big player in that. So tell us about your experience qualifying for and participating in the GS Trophy competition back in 2010, which was in South Africa. Well, it actually began in 2008. I uh, tried out for the GS Trophy then, and that was the first year for the competition. It was uh, to be held in Tunisia, North Africa at the time, and I managed to get to the top six. Uh, they flew us, BMW Motorrad flew the six of us to Spartanburg, South Carolina, to the uh, performance center there. And we competed for the top three spots at that time. <clears throat> I scored well, but there were other qualifications that came into play. And they picked a great team. That team won first place that year. And uh, the next year, or two years later, I came back and tried out again. That was the 2010 event that you referenced. And I scored a, a strong second out of three in the country at that point. Uh, that was the uh, only qualifier that year. And uh, that set me soundly on the Team USA to go to South Africa and represent our country. So, uh, you know, that's making a, a big transition from your early days in motocross to riding adventure bikes, you know, big GSs and so forth. So how did you make that transition over the years? Well, you might say I practiced on my Harley Davidson. <laughs> <laughs> I know now that actually makes more sense than it did back then with the Pan American. But uh, now I, uh, you know, from the time that I had that first motorcycle ride uh, and then the early days of motocross, I also competed in trials. And back then, trials was uh, not as robust as it is now. It was still very competitive and uh, very challenging, but we weren't as athletic. Uh, I considered it more of a rolling trials. Uh, we didn't do the splatters and the things that they do now. Um, we certainly didn't do backflips. And although I realize that show, that's not the actual competition of the routine trials, but uh, I did well in trials as well as in motocross. And then I had a hiatus for a, a number of years as I raised my three sons. And then we, my sons and I got back into motorcycle riding as they got kind of past the early formative years uh, where I, I really, honestly, I feared uh, injury for, for them. And which is ironic, I know, with what I did to my mother and my racing back then. <laughs> But uh, uh, I had that fear, and that's when we took up the sailboat racing. So I got back into motorcycles, and then uh, Susan and I began to uh, get interested in dirt bikes after riding my Harley-Davidson uh, all kinds of places. I would take that bike uh, out into cornfields to camp and got into all kinds of interesting situations with it. But at one point, I... I received a, uh, I'd actually just started writing for um, uh, ADV Moto Magazine back in the early days when sure. Roman Lampson still owned it. Uh, I was writing for them and I was given an opportunity to go to the Rawhide Adventure Rider Challenge. And that was 2008, uh, just as a journalist to compete and write from the perspective of a competitor. Sure. So I went to that then three day event and was fortunate enough to score no more than three errors uh, in those three days. A perfect score day one, one error day two, and two errors day three. I'm glad wow. there wasn't a day four. They were starting to stack up. 
<laughs> but yeah, so that put me in, in uh, the top of that competition. And that put me in the uh, sights of BMW Motorrads whenever they were asked to send participants to the GS Trophy. So it began there. And that's where I realized that maybe I have some aptitude for this. There are certainly those who have a lot better aptitude, but I think I was in the right place at the right time and was having a lucky day, maybe a few days in a row. And so uh, from there, I began to just keep going. And, and of course, I, I got motorcycles that were appropriate for adventure riding. I, I actually borrowed Susan's bike for the early days of uh, my adventure riding to help me to qualify as a BMW owner to enter a BMW event. Oh, right on, right. Yeah, that makes sense, sure. Yeah. Well, it's not surprising to hear that you say you've got a background in trials because I know some of the top competitors in the hard enduro events like Romaniacs and the Erzberg Rodeo, uh, many of them have trials backgrounds. And to have the clutch and throttle control and the balance required to do well in some of the obstacle courses and, and uh, challenges that are in things like the GS Trophy Qualifier and the Rawhide, or Rawhide Challenge is, yeah, that sort of background is, is got to be invaluable for so, some of the very technical riding where you can be very slow and you're trying to balance a, a big heavy motorcycle around obstacles and, and, and things like that. So that makes sense. One of the greatest compliments that I've been paid as a motorcyclist uh, was by Jim Hyde. We had, uh, you know, I'd won that first competition and uh, Jim actually recommended me to BMW Motorrad. And when they asked why, well, for one, I had won that competition. But his words were, he is simply the best technical rider I've ever seen. Now, I think that spoke more to Jim's, uh, to the few people he had actually seen as good technical riders <laughs> than it did to my technical skill. But as I said, I had had a few lucky days there. And that clutch brake throttle, that triad, that magical triad is something that I realized was a, a kind of a game changer for me in that competition back in 2008. And it's really what kept me up literally uh, on that motorcycle is the ability to put the bike in tension and to save the, myself with the clutch, not the crutch being my, my leg uh, from falling. So once I learned that that was sort of a secret sauce, then uh, that's when I began to build a curriculum for actually Skip Lascoro, who owns uh, Moto Discovery. By his request, uh, we had discussed back in the early days uh, creating a, uh, uh, a school that he could have his guests come to before going to an off-road event. And I would teach them so that they would be less likely to be injured, so that they would enjoy their experience with him, and especially in Mexico and other places that they went, uh, because they had a greater degree of skill. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Let's say, you know, go back a little bit. Like I said, in 2010, you competed in the GS Trophy in South Africa. You know, for people that don't know what a GS Trophy, you know, event or competition is like, please give us a little bit of background on that. Like I said, I think it happens every two years, and it's usually in a different part of the, the world uh, every other year. Is that correct? That's exactly right. It, uh, it is, in fact, uh, I think I would be accurate in saying it's, it's a marketing event, but it's also a tremendous opportunity for amateur riders and some who actually had ridden professionally. There were there are people who have uh, competed uh, who have definitely been professional riders uh, from some of the other countries. But to, to represent their country in something that is an international event, 
So BMW did us a wonderful service by creating this. And I think that those who have competed uh, either for or actually been fortunate enough to compete in the event have done a service for BMW Motorrad as well because of the publicity that it has gotten in the adventure riding community. Uh, it is known as a sort of a, a low speed technical skills trials type competition, but it is, uh, there are probably less people now who remember the Camel Trophy. But years ago, uh, Land Rover had a competition called the Camel Trophy. They had these mustard yellow uh, Land Rover def defenders that were uh, used and in various countries around the world, very interesting countries with interesting climates, interesting geographical features. They would have transits where they would drive for several kilometers and then they would have special tests along the way. Well, BMW Motorrad, uh, they, patterned their GS trophy after the Camel Trophy in the early days. And it's continued in that vein quite a bit. So whichever country they choose, for us, it was South Africa, Swaziland, and Mozambique, they would have us do transits. And then suddenly, we would never know when, there would be a marshal standing there flagging us off into the woods or into the jungle or into a, a swamp or creek bottom or a river, whatever it might be. And there would be our special test. So that's a loose kind of a, a general taste of what that looks like. And so, like you said, there are three-person teams that compete from various countries and you're essentially, can you win individually as well as you win as a country? Are there like two different sort of, you know, placements? Leading up to the GS Trophy competition, uh, to, the, to the actual international event, you are competing individually for your place with your country. But once you have won your spot on the team, you are now a team and you remain a team. Every point that's scored is a team point, whether that be photography, uh, which is actually a fairly big part of the event, or uh, because it's a social media push. Sure. Or through the actual performance of your team in the competitions. So that was in 2010 when you were on the GS Trophy team for the US. And so how long after that before you started your Dragoo Adventure Rider Training, which is also known as DART. Uh, like I said, you talked about working with Skip Morasco, developing some training, but uh, when did you start DART? So Skip and I had our conversation in 2010. Our, our first conversation was uh, sort of behind the curtain, so to speak, uh, in Redmond, Oregon at the BMW Rally. And I'd only met Skip face-to-face -face once before that. I had asked him to contribute to a book that uh, Susan and I were working on, on dual sport trails uh, in North America. And so we'd had some interaction for that project. And then he said, hey, Bill, are you gonna be at Redmond? Yes, I'll be there. He said, come meet me at my booth. So we met, we literally went behind the, the face of his booth and sat in a couple of lawn chairs. And he sprung it on me that he wanted me to uh, uh, develop a training program for him, which was a tremendous honor. I mean, I had worked in the automotive business. I had been a flight instructor and done other things uh, to earn money and, but uh, as hobbies, but I had never done anything to that degree. So still then in 2010, I began writing the curriculum, but because of logistics between where we live here, just near Oklahoma City and Skip in uh, San Antonio, near San Antonio, it was awkward at best to be able to, to meet and do things. And I, I didn't see the possibilities that I see now, certainly has, uh, in retrospect, in making this thing go all over the United States and beyond. 
but we used that curriculum in Bolivia for the first time. So less than two years later, I was asked to go to Bolivia to uh, ride with uh, a fellow who had a, uh, a tour company there and to write a story about his tour company and, and what he had to, to show. And while I was there, uh, several of his friends said, Bill, would you please come back and teach us to ride these motorcycles? Well, as luck would have it, I had a curriculum, had not used it yet. And I said, sure, I'll come back. So I did and began to get invited back repeatedly to uh, have training and to work with uh, my friend Sergio uh, Bolivian on those, um, uh, those tours. So it wasn't long after that. In fact, it was only two weeks after the initial um, request to go down there that I was asked to go to Colombia and do a similar thing. So my schools actually started in Bolivia and Colombia. And then friends here in Oklahoma said, hey, what are you going to teach here? <laughs> Who wants to learn to ride? We already know how to ride motorcycles and none of us are really all that good at it. So, you know, aren't we fine? But uh, literally they, they, they scratched and clawed and begged and said, hey, let's do this. And so I began to do it. I had no aspiration to do it other than what had been sparked by Skip Mascoro. So tell us a little bit about how your uh, school works now. You said that you've got a, a big training session that's coming up starting tomorrow. So how do you organize your, your training classes? Does it take place there in Oklahoma? Do you have it in other locations? So we partner with a lot of tour companies for immersion tours where the, the, the guest is actually immersed in both training and then in utilization of those skills en route. And we do that all over the United States, uh, literally from coast to coast, uh, north to south. And we've done it in Mexico. And as I said, we've done it in, in uh, South America. But for our local classes, we have a venue that's about 13 minutes from my house. That is, uh, it's a, a large acreage. We're able to build pretty much whatever we want there. So our level one and level two training, which level one and two is one course, it's a two-day course, is taught within about 13 minutes of my home here in Norman, Oklahoma. We have a large acreage and we're able to build pretty much whatever we want to build there. And we start level one with what we call flat work or the fundamentals of balancing control. Now we base what we do on what we consider four cornerstones of adventure riding, balance, control, judgment, and attitude. Balance being our ability to do what we do every day, stand up, ride a bicycle. Control, in our case, is the ability to use the controls of the motorcycle to maintain that balance. So two or more kinesthetic, and then two or more of the mind, judgment and attitude. Balance, control, judgment and attitude are the cornerstones. So we introduce those uh, cornerstones in our level one and level two training where they learn the fundamentals and they're introduced to hills during the level two portion of that. And then those who choose to stay for uh, another two-day session or those who come back who had been in a previous session can, can come to our level three class. Our level three is rocks and sand. And it's, uh, as level three would suggest, a, a pretty significant step up. It is uh, graduated in a reasonable way, but we, the penalty for failure is higher with rocks. We tighten the parameters on the uh, balance and control exercises. And then we introduce uh, rock ledges, uh, line selection, off camber, more significant off camber. We start off camber in level one and two. Um, and then day two, we get into uh, sand and the sand is significant. We have a great sand course here 
in Oklahoma, we're blessed to have the South Canadian River flowing right through my town, and it flows through uh, uh, Waynette and Byers, Oklahoma, which are about an uh, hour, hour away from here, and a place called Soggy Bottoms. And we use that typically Monday and Tuesday when there aren't any other active users there. There are very few razors or side-by-side, so we have the place to ourselves. And it's, um, uh, so yeah, it just makes a, makes a real tidy program all within an hour of my home here in Norman. Now, do your, uh, your students, they typically bring their own motorcycle, so they're learning to ride and develop these skills on a motorcycle that they own? Yes, uh, we are, we're a very small company. We don't have the bandwidth to have rentals. Uh, we can sometimes secure a motorcycle for someone if they need it. We've done everything from applying on Facebook to one or two of our scouts have bikes that they will rent from time to time, scouts and instructors. So sometimes we can get a bike, we try, but we don't really advertise that, yeah, we're gonna get you a bike. Most people I've found uh, really want to learn on their own motorcycle anyway. It's something that they wanna become completely familiar with. And we have a shop day in between levels one, two and level three. So on that Sunday afternoon, those who wish can come here to my home. I have a, a nice workshop here and we go, we cover bike setup. We change tires. We go into trailside breakdown, maintenance, repair, uh, field fixes, things like that. Philosophy Great. of pre- preparation. All So it's kind of the five day package. Well, yeah, you cover a lot of ground. So, you know, are you typically, you know, because again, I'm one of those people that, you know, because I've worked for a magazine, I've, I've had some training in different areas and I've been exposed to a lot of different kinds of motorcycles, um, you know, but uh, clearly in the last decade and in, in particular, the adventure bike market has really, you know, has boomed. It's been this really bright spot in the, in the motorcycle industry since the Great Recession. And from some of our readers, many of them are returning riders. So you mentioned taking a hiatus from motorcycling when you were raising your sons. Um, we find that's the case with many of our readers that they, maybe they were motorcyclists when they were teenagers or, or young men, they start families, uh, you know, they, then they come back to it later, maybe when they're empty nesters. So are you often dealing with students that are you know, middle-aged uh, coming back to motorcycling or is it kind of a full range? It's the full range, but I will say that a large percentage uh, of our, our students are middle-aged and older. <clears throat> I mean, we've had people in their 80s here multiple times, certainly a lot in their 70s, a whole lot in their 50s and 60s. We're getting an increasing number of younger riders coming in because they're finding the joy <clears throat> of throwing your sleeping bag on the back of a, a bike that's capable of traveling from here to, to where you live in California comfortably. But at any point along the way, they can pull off the road and go as far and as deep into the backcountry as they want to on a 600-pound motorcycle. So there is a tremendous demand for our sport right now. And I think that the penalty for failure on the bigger bikes being so much greater than what maybe you and I learned on on the smaller bikes really lends itself more to the training and then just the publicity that surrounds training in and of itself. People realize that I can learn more in two days than I could learn literally in a lifetime. There are things you simply will not learn in a lifetime of just buying gas, which you sometimes hear for people to, uh, oh, you can learn best by just going out and practicing these things. Well, I mean, there's the old saying that, you know, many riders don't have 20 years of experience. They have one year of experience repeated 20 times is if you develop 
uh, bad habits just through, you know, no, you know, just, you just fall into them, you know, without having proper training, because, you know, you could speak to this more than I, but, you know, there are some counterintuitive aspects of motorcycle riding and, and control, and there's specific skills that you can develop that you might not, you're not likely to just stumble on it on yourself. True enough. The, one of the first words that we hear that falls strangely on our ears is counter steering. We often hear that in Motorcycle Safety Foundation basic rider education courses and counterintuitive uh, goes right with the counter steering because there are things that we do even just with, with body position and pressure on foot pegs, pressure on handlebars, uh, the number of fingers that we put on our controls and when these things are yeah, you can work out something that works for you, but are you really doing it the most efficient way possible? And maybe what you're doing, you're just lucky to get through some of these challenging areas. Whereas you see someone dance across, a, maybe let's say an off-camber slope, and you, you think, how could they do that? I've tried this four times and my tires slip out from under me. Why is this happening? What are they doing differently? And then you begin to learn about foot peg pressure and body position and things that are as critical as having spikes on your tires and making you successful versus not. Well, it, it makes sense. And, you know, one of the things that I know from the training that I've received, I've re received, you know, uh, track training on, you know, sport bikes, I've done some off-road training, is that, you know, when some of the mysteries are resolved or you basically, you, you fix a bad habit that you maybe didn't realize that you had, uh, your confidence level goes up. And when your confidence level is higher, I think the enjoying, you can enjoy the ride more, especially on a big adventure bike. If you're going to go off-road and I'm not talking about super technical stuff, but you've got a loaded motorcycle, you're going to, you know, go on a trail and so forth. If you know that you've got a base of skills and some confidence, it rather than just being scared to death the whole time, you can actually enjoy that ride as much as, as you can. You've touched on a key element of our philosophy and training, and that is that we want to build confidence as much or more than we want to build skills. And, <clears throat> you know, we do that by the, the degree of challenge that we incorporate into each of our training elements. Uh, part of my training was uh, through BMW Motorrad. I'm an internationally certified instructor, and I, I went to Heckling in Germany to, to become certified to do this. And I enjoyed learning how similar what I had come by with my transition of, of trials and uh, old dirt bike skills uh, to, the, to the big bikes was to what they did and what they taught there. But what I do that I think is even different than what they teach in, in their training program is we have more, the rungs are closer together. That's the simplest way I can put it. Uh, some of the leaps are, are a little bit taller and we don't always have to, to uh, fill in between those leaps. We can observe our students. We have private training. We have custom training. We have two-up training. All that's done aside from our, our regular training program, our regular curriculum. And we watch the uh, ambient feel, the ambient uh, texture, uh, uh, aptitude of a of student or a group of students. And we can accelerate or slow down that learning process accordingly by interjecting or removing or embellishing upon or maybe just touching on any of these elements that we have in our program. That makes a lot of sense. You know, that's, you know, other people that I've talked to that provide skills training is I know one of the challenges that they have is that some, you know, just calling something training is you have some people that just run in the opposite direction because they think it's going to be like school, it's going to be boring. But 
for people who really want to be good at what they do, and, and I know, like I said, you've been a flight instructor, um, you've trained people in a lot of other areas as a people that really want to be good at what they do. So being a good motorcyclist, a confident and safe motorcyclist, you know, requires training, it requires practice. So what you're doing is actually can, as I said, not only help people in, increase their, their confidence, but their safety. Motorcycle, even in off-road situations, minor tip-overs can be expensive, whether you break parts on the motorcycle or you you, you know, uh, get yourself injured. Training is a, is a good investment. <laughs> definitely, definitely. And I, I think I kind of slipped away from that discussion earlier when I was talking about penalty for failure, you know, both in personal and, uh, and with the, the big bikes, these 600 pound, 25, now 30,000 plus dollar motorcycles. Yeah, tipping them over can be expensive. And uh, often they are first scratched or the first tip end of a lever is broken in their training program with their brand new motorcycle. But what they don't see is the damage that did not occur because they did acquire the training or the injury that did not occur because they actually invested themselves in the training. So there's, you know, the jury is, is done deliberating on that. They've come up with a conclusion that, that it's a good thing. And I think that the, the general public is definitely on board with it. Well, one of the things I've got to ask you, because I've, I've never had the opportunity to take any of your training, but you mentioned that, uh, I guess it's in your level three, where you, you focus on sand. You say you've got this great, you know, sand training area there in Oklahoma. Sand has always been the bugaboo for me. I'm not, a, I'm not a, an off-road rider by, you know, it's not my natural habitat. I learned to ride on the street and, and so forth. So I sort of came to it later. And, you know, there's this uh, approach to, to riding in sand that's sort of like gas on and brain off. But just kind of walk us through what what is your sort of philosophy in terms of such an unstable surface as sand, which is really challenging for a lot of people if they ride in it. It's simple. Just lean back and gas it. <laughs> if you believe that, I have some land I need to sell you down in Florida. Very southern part. <laughs> now, there's a lot more to it. And in fact, that's usually counter to uh, what we want to do. We want to maintain control of the motorcycle. Uh, at all times, if at all possible, certainly as long as it's possible. But we call it the two Ps. So the secret to sand riding, uh, the, sort of the, the, it would be peg weight and power. And when I say peg weight, there are instructors who will flip out. My friend Brett Tax and I love to have these conversations. But there is more to weighting a peg than simply pressing a peg like a pedal. It's your body position. It's all the nuance that goes into everything else that's happening. But when I say peg weight and pressure, to initiate a turn in sand, you would apply some weight to the inside peg and you roll on the throttle. And the motorcycle is going to turn in that direction. You know, obviously you lean the bike a little bit with to follow that peg weight. But once that bike begins to plow, which is the, the nemesis of these big bikes, the sand tends to grab that front wheel, pull them down and plow, then weighting the opposite foot peg, body position that's appropriate. And I won't go through all the nuance of that unless you want to start down that road. But and then applying the power again will begin to straighten that motorcycle. So in the simplest, shortest terms, the way we teach, it's peg weight and power to initiate a turn, peg weight and power to stop a turn. Now, we're not going around blipping the throttle all the time. And obviously, at some point, you have to back off the power. You have to keep your speed. We say it no greater speed than that, which you don't mind dismounting the motorcycle, whether it's <laughs> gracefully or not. So you're probably going to be stepping off of the bike at some point. And we actually go through that. We actually demonstrate falling on the motorcycle. It's real easy. We, we, we do that naturally. It's one of our best, best uh, demos. 
but uh, how to get off and away from the motorcycle, keeping your legs from being trapped underneath or a toe from getting tucked and rolled back as this often happens in the, in the lower leg injuries. Well, as my uh, former boss at, at Rider Magazine, Mark Tuttle used to say, you know, let the iron fall, you know, trying to save it sometimes can get you hurt more than if you just, like I said, make a, try to make a safe exit to get off the bike, get away from it, not to get trapped under it. So, well, I'm curious, you know, like I said, you've got, you've got multi levels of training. You said that you do some immersion tours. So how would listeners find out more about uh, the, the training that you offer? We have a website. It's buildragoo.com. It's very simple. Just my name, buildragoo, D-R-A-G-O-O.com. And we post our immersion tours there. Uh, we have worked with, uh, you know, like I said, a number of tour companies. Uh, Dusty Wessels of West 38 Moto is a very, very good friend of mine. We've done multiple trips to uh, Borrego Springs and on down into Baja. We've, we do training together. We've done it in uh, Colorado as well as down in Southern California. Uh, we work with Hisega Adventure Lodge in uh, South Dakota, a beautiful, beautiful riding country up there. So the, the owners of, uh, of uh, Hisega, Mike and Tara Flannery, uh, are, Mike is an outstanding rider, a tremendous tour leader. And we started this project a few years ago and just continued on with that. We've worked with uh, and continue to work with uh, Moto Vermont with uh, Eric Milano up there. Um, gosh, Scott Lee of Colorado Motorcycle Adventures. I mentioned Skip Mascoro. Uh, Alex Moore, who's also worked with Motor Discovery, has tours in Colorado and uh, in Utah. I know I'm leaving someone out, but we partner with these people to provide the product that we feel like is, is essential to safe and uh, long-term adventure riding. So all of that is usually published as it begins to materialize on our website. And they can certainly reach out to us at uh, dragooadventuresllc at gmail.com. That's also easy to find on our website uh, to find out what maybe isn't posted yet, because there's a lot in the works. We work with the Overland Expos. Uh, we, there are four Overland Expos this year coming up. Uh, they will be the first one is in Flagstaff, Arizona in May. And then we have, uh, we've got... Uh, Oh, let's see, Loveland, Colorado is later. That would be uh, Mountain West. There is Pacific Northwest coming up in July, which will be in uh, Bend, Oregon. And then we have uh, Overland Expo East in uh, Arrington, Virginia. All of these have a strong element of DART and our adventure rider training and other uh, adventure riding activities that are fantastic. So the Overland Expos are a great place universally across the United States to, uh, to learn more of what we do, to see it firsthand, whether you want to participate or not, and then just to enjoy the, uh, the overlanding community, two wheels or four. That's great. So, I mean, it sounds like you, you got a busy schedule and there's a lot of these events that some people might already be considering attending or something. So they might be able to hook up with you and, and, and go through some training or get, get uh, some advice. Uh, and these immersion tours sound great because you know, it's not just coming to one place to do some training. You're also, I imagine you're going to travel. I think uh, I was in 2019 when your wife, Susan, wrote an article for Rider about one of your training tours that was in Utah. It included a lot of great scenic riding and so forth. So uh, yeah, I highly encourage people to check out the website. We'll include a link in the show notes, but it's buildragoo.com, B-I-L-L-D-R-A-G-O-O.com. We'll also have a link to uh, that uh, story from Ryder. It's on our website. We'll have that on the show notes. Is there anything else you want to talk about or plug before we go? I should have prepared for that question, but uh, no, you know, I, I do enjoy talking about what we do. I enjoy talking about it most uh, 
from the perspective of, as I said, helping people to ride safer and to ride longer. And I think that's one of the reasons that older people get to, one of the reasons that older people get into what we do. Uh, I enjoy seeing the younger people get into it. I think that there are those who haven't yet are missing an opportunity to uh, maybe slow down a little bit and develop more finesse and which will actually help them go faster. Jimmy Lewis, uh, another instructor who I respect greatly, talks about the, the slow speed, the advantage of slow speed. And um, goodness, it's uh, slow is fast, fast is slow. Uh, right. So he talks about developing your ability to go slowly well before you try to go fast. And these skills that we teach really help both in going slow and in going fast, as Jimmy implies. Well, as you know, I mean, with the GSs and other adventure bikes uh, weighing, you know, over 500 pounds or more fully loaded, um, momentum can really get the better of you if you're going too fast uh, and definitely ahead of your skills or going too far to really be able to read the train properly. So, yeah, taking a measured approach and making sure that you're there at the end of the ride feeling comfortable. You may be tired and sore and worn out, but you can have a beer around the campfire and enjoy yourself and enjoy the ride the next day. So, yeah, I appreciate the philosophy that you take uh, to your training. I'd love to join you sometime on one of your tours, but this idea of really helping people, you know, boost their confidence, because like I say, just from my own personal experience, I know what it felt like to be more of a scared rider, more of a, you know, unsure of what I was going to do in certain situations. And as my skill level has improved with some training and with some practice and so forth, my confidence level goes up. I know I just, I enjoy riding so much more. And so whether that's fast or slow, on-road, off-road, it doesn't matter, but being a confident rider, um, really makes a big difference in terms of the enjoyment of the sport. Absolutely, Greg. And you touched on fear there. And fear is, uh, you know, we, we call it a dragon. I mean, in fact, one of my recent columns, I, I talked about slaying dragons and overcoming fear. And that's, uh, that's easy to say, and it's very difficult to do because fear is something that we all internalize differently and we all man it manifests itself differently uh, as we begin to try and learn something new, whether it be stepping down on a ladder, or stepping from one boat to another, or from a dock to a boat or whatever it might be, certainly riding a motorcycle. So riding with folks who help you overcome those fears rather than breeding more is definitely a, a lesson to be learned by anyone who, uh, who is embarking upon the adventure riding community. Absolutely. Well, Bill, I want to thank you for coming on the show. You've been uh, generous with your time and folks check out Dragoo Adventure Rider Training at BillDragoo.com. For the Rider Magazine Insider Podcast, I'm Greg Drevenstead. Thanks for listening and keep the rubber side down. If you've enjoyed listening to the Rider Magazine Insider Podcast, please subscribe, leave us a positive rating and tell your friends. We also encourage you to visit RiderMagazine.com where you can get the latest in motorcycle news and reviews and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. You can also subscribe to print and digital editions of Writer Magazine, which is published 12 times a year. Thanks again for listening.